CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Michelle Herbert will be telling us a little bit about Black Mental Health Canada. So what can you tell me about Black Mental Health? Black Mental Health Canada? Yes. Black Mental Health Canada is a registered charity. We serve Black Canadians across the country. Uh, We're doing our best to fill the gap when it comes to mental health support for people who identify from Black communities. And Black communities are not one monolith group. Uh, We come from all areas of the world. We come from Caribbean, parts of African continent, all over the world. So when you think of black communities, uh, we emphasize that it's plural and that we are serving people from the what we still call the African diaspora. And the reason it's important um, is because mental health for people who identify as black in Canada, that type of support is very different from mental health support for a person, say, who identifies as South Asian or East Asian or Hispanic or Latino or Caucasian, etc. Our lived experiences are different um, because, as many of us know, or for those who are willing to admit, um, anti-Black racism, discrimination, harassment is actually built into every system in this entire country. Healthcare system, education system, careers, <laughs> corporate systems, um, businesses, entrepreneurship, any well, any form of a system or any walk of life, really. Um, we already know there's studies and there's reports that show that Canada has existing anti-black racist ideas and practices built into every single system that we use to live our daily lives. So that's, that's why we exist. And um, we're a national charity that was founded in 2019. And what we do on a regular basis is we spread the word. So exactly what I just told you, we spread the word through schools, we spread the word by doing talks at corporations, at different events, social events. We spread the word by going into hospitals to talk to hospitals and clinicians to make sure they're identifying the 
the special needs faced by Black Canadians and their mental health. Um, and so we're doing our best to spread the word, but of course we love talking to folks like you who will help us amplify this message even more. So uh, how do you get around some of the myths or misperceptions that... Uh these systemic barriers don't exist. Uh, I assume that a lot of your work is focused around education. Um, well, we, we get around the myths by just showing the stats. The stats speak for themselves. Um, the statistics are quite high regarding the amount of black people who are not asking for mental health support by their family physician or even a walk-in clinic or in their schools or at work. We show the stats that many black people have stated they are um, nervous to even mention to their employer that they want mental health support. Uh, many black people don't even feel comfortable saying they want a black therapist to support them. So we use that to show that the, the needs are there, the gaps are there. Um, most of the clinicians in Canada, so a clinician is someone who is registered to offer a counseling service like a social worker, or a psychotherapist, or a psychologist, or, or a psychiatrist. Individuals um, who are in that field tend to not be black. So there's a very low percentage of clinicians who identify as black, and that's the problem for us that we're trying to solve. We will want to encourage more people to even go into the field of therapy, more black people to go into this field. So right now, uh, I believe the last data I checked, there's about less than 10 psychiatrists, black identified psychiatrists in Ontario. So that's not a lot. And I myself, when I was looking for support from a black psychiatrist, on a, I was on a wait list for one year. So that's how we get around the myths. We just talk about that and the truth. So in that sense, uh, a lot of people who would be dealing with a more severe mental health concern wouldn't have a year to wait. Stress would uh, just be exacerbated by the fact that they wouldn't have that someone there to help them, one would think. Yeah, and that's, that's a small part of the problem. One of the biggest problems that black communities are facing right now regarding even asking for help is that within a lot of cultural ideas that black people carry, um, therapy really isn't an option because there's so many of our parents' generation, for example, who just don't believe that therapy is anything that a black person should even utilize. They either would encourage you to go to church they would encourage you to talk to your pastor or an elder of the church. They would encourage you to just speak to your family. Um, but for many black people, and this is a barrier, of course, many black people, just sharing your thoughts and feelings about your life, especially if you're in distress, that's seen as a big no-no because what a lot of black folks often tell their children is that, you know, you don't go out into the world and, and share your business with anyone. You keep that private at home or you pray about it. But you're not to go to a therapist and tell a doctor. And there's a lot of reasons why that fear exists. And that fear often exists because there is a there's a lot of distrust between many black people and our current healthcare system. Um, and for good reason, again, as I mentioned earlier in the call that uh, there's anti-black racism embedded into systems in this country, including our health. So, for example, a lot of black people may feel, feel fearful of sharing with a social worker or um, a therapist that, you know, they're struggling with an addiction or they're struggling with um, depression or they're struggling to, to go to work or their children are struggling. They may fear that, that sharing that information may be turned on them and then suddenly children's aid is involved and their child's taken away. 
or that information is shared with their employer, for example. Uh, so for good reasons, there's a, there's, a large, there's a large fear there within the community. So we exist to advocate as many times on behalf of an individual who wants to maybe speak to their child principal or they want to speak to their employer or they want to speak to someone within a, who has a, a, a leadership position or a position of authority and they may be fearful of doing that for, for the reasons that I mentioned. So. Um, and speaking of fear, we, we have noticed that many black people in Canada are also afraid to call 911 if they're dealing with a mental health crisis at home in the family or in, in the household. And so we also are, we have developed a program to be that, be that in between an individual who's dealing with a mental health crisis and the police. So, so instead of calling, calling the police, they would contact us. So I'm wondering, in your time with yeah. Black Mental Health, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Of course, yeah, a number of success stories. I mean, many. You know, people who have taken our workshops um, are very grateful for the information that we are sharing and continue to share. By the way, we offer workshops, virtual workshops, for free online for people who serve black communities, for people who serve black clients. Maybe they have a mental health practice, for example. Um, there's a lot of individuals who contact us, you know, because we have a toll-free number on our website. And they'll contact us and say, you know, I have a brother who is who's diagnosed with schizophrenia. I don't know what to do. He's not taking his medication. And just being able to call us and speak to us, and we redirect them to, say, a therapist, or we redirect them to um, a department of the hospital that we're connected to help them, help the family create a better plan for their for the person that they're supporting. And that to me is one of our many success stories. Because I know the the fear and the panic that an individual may be faced if they're dealing with supporting a person who's dealing with a mental health crisis or if they themselves are going through a mental health crisis and they don't know who to turn to. And it's reassuring when you can contact an organization who also understands what the black experience is like in Canada. So there's a level of trust that's there. So this, to me, all comes, it, it's all success in my view and in the opinion of our organization. It's successful when people can contact us and feel a level of trust to talk to us about things that normally um, black people in general are very fearful um, or hesitant to share with others. So, oh, well, that to me is quite successful. And we are growing as an organization. More people are learning about us. And we are developing really good community partnerships and connecting with great, amazing corporations who understand our vision and want to support our mandate. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure, I'll be here. Thanks. In this segment of our show, Simon Williams will be telling us a little bit about Anaphylaxis UK. So tell me a little bit about your work with Anaphylaxis. Certainly, my, uh, my name is Simon Williams. I'm Chief Executive of Anaphylaxis UK. It's a uh, nationwide charity that supports uh, people uh, with uh, a, a risk of, uh, of um, anaphylaxis from a, a serious allergy. Uh, allergic reaction and uh, many many people live in fear and um, have a, a great deal of anxiety about having an allergy uh, and our purpose is to uh, support them at every uh, opportunity and uh, every touch point they have in their life whether that's at school 
whether it's uh, going to work, going to university, uh, we try and provide the uh, support and information to help them live a full and active life. So, that being said, do you ever encounter any myths or misperceptions, such as, oh, it's just an allergy? Or... Oh, all the time, yes, indeed. You're quite right. I mean, it, 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 it goes from um, both a, a misconception of teachers, it may well be a work colleague, it might be a friend, it might be a relative indeed. Uh, and very often in restaurants, when somebody has an allergy, they just think, well, it's just somebody with you know, a fussy eater. It might not be that serious without really having an appreciation of how life-threatening it, it can be. Uh, if things are served uh, to a customer in a restaurant, for example, that they are allergic to. So there's a lot of misunderstanding and part of our role is to uh, help educate and inform people, um, both through our Safer Schools programme, the work that we do with uh, the food industry and many others, to um, emphasise the importance and the significance of somebody's uh, allergy upon their life and, and how it has, uh, has such a, a profound impact uh, on what they do every day and the decisions that they that they make. You know, it, it, it's really uh, striking how um, people with an allergy, uh, their lives have changed significantly and um, they are very often uh, anxious and nervous that can stop them going to restaurants, going on holiday, doing the everyday things that you and I might take for granted. And uh, that's not right. So, um, you know, we want to change that. We want to make it better for people. So, how do you go about reaching out to the affected population? So, mostly as a, as a, you know, as a charity, we've got to be very mindful of the, um, the, the, uh, the resources that we have. And the most, most effective way is through clearly through uh, the internet and digitally so we've got a uh, a great website anaphylaxis.org.uk and that's got a load of really helpful and uh, factually accurate information so we've got over 60 fact sheets that have been checked by our clinical and scientific panel and we know that a great many um, people in the public use those uh, we've got good connections with allergy clinics where all the specialists work and um, people with allergies have referrals to. But also we know that a lot of the industry, so food industry, um, use as well, and that's quite right that they do, to enhance their knowledge and share that information uh, across uh, with colleagues, but also with their, with their customers so that they get the factually accurate information. Uh, the training that we offer uh, to preschool to um, to schools to um, uh, soon to workplaces and elsewhere uh, again is digital so um, people can take part in um, online training activities but also as with the schools program we also give teachers and others that work in that school because it's a whole school approach not just teaching the first aider or one or two teachers it's teaching every member of staff um, we offer uh, uh, lesson plans, assembly plans, and the sorts of resources for um, for the children to use, the pupils to use. So if they're younger, there's some colouring in books, there's some crosswords, word searches. So it's important to educate everybody in that environment, not just the teachers, but the pupils themselves and the children having a, a greater awareness. That everything is digital, 
everything is uh, internet-based and that, I, you know, I totally appreciate that we're not reaching everybody, but we're trying to do our best with, um, you know, concentrating our efforts on, uh, on the groups that we can actually reach in that way. So, in your time with Anaphylaxis UK, has there been any success moment that stands out for you? Maybe a time when uh, you were able to bring some education and enlightenment about reducing the risks to the community. Yes, certainly. I mean, I've only been in post uh, for 18 months and we introduced this new schools program and uh, it has been phenomenally uh, successful. We've, we've um, we reached out to hundreds of schools and that then covers many thousands of teachers and then tens of thousands of pupils uh, in those schools. And that ed whole education program to, uh, as I've just said, you know, te te teach the teachers, but also importantly, inform the pupils that they, you know, have got somebody in that classroom um, that has got a serious allergy. And, you know, as we spoke about uh, a moment ago, how serious that is. And it isn't somebody just with a, you know, that might be a fussy eater or uh, that they um, are just a bit, you know, they some, some people very often say a little bit allergic to something, you know, well, it, you know, it, 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 it's very serious. So then that, that support that we can offer the schools enables uh, everybody to go on a school trip. It enables everybody to go on sporting activities without excluding somebody because they might have an adrenaline pen or a serious allergy. And that's very important in the way that the child is, you know, grows up and has that experience of school life. Been part of the, um, you know, the... That the uh, the school all of the school's activity is not are not excluded from anything because of their of their uh, of their allergy. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the Bye. line Bye. for a sec, that'd be great. Yes, certainly. Thank you. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages. So stay tuned. CJM 99.1 FM presents Higher Ground Music and Arts Festival, July 28th to 30th, featuring Daniel Romano's outfit. Also featuring Big City Germs, Datsun, Detroit's own Decliner, Kitty and the Cupids, Munch, Olinda, Problematic Black Hottie, Roy Trout, and many more of your favorites. Three-day passes are on sale now for $50 and can be purchased at cjam.ca. Venues include Fog, Meteor, Craftheads, and Artsite. See you there! Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Michelle Herbert told us a little bit about black mental health, and we heard about Anaphylaxis UK from Simon Williams. In this segment of our show... Bree Fairley will be telling us a little bit about atlas aphasia. A bit about atlas aphasia? Sure. 
Um, Atlas Aphasia Center is a nonprofit that is focused on getting people with aphasia the therapy that they need at an affordable price. And so it's somewhere people can come if they have aphasia and they've been um, discharged from other services or maybe they don't have medical insurance. Um, anyone who's kind of fallen through the cracks can come here and receive therapy. So how do you go about reaching out to the affected population? It is tricky, let me tell you, because aphasia is a disorder that inherently affects language. So normal ways of marketing um, where you would normally, you know, have posters or things like that don't always reach people with aphasia. Um, so what I've done is sort of built relationships with the hospitals around town and um, the university here in town to tell them that we have these services and then oftentimes social workers or other speech therapists will be the people who tell someone with aphasia, hey, if you don't have somewhere to go after this, Atlas Aphasia Center might be the place for you. So for those who might not be as familiar, what are some of the most common impacts of aphasia? Mm. There's so many. That's a great question. Um, it's just really, because it's a disorder of language, it is truly part of almost every single thing you do during the day. So it can affect talking is what people think of the most, um, but it also affects reading and writing and understanding. Um, so I think what comes to mind for people is, you know, someone with aphasia has trouble getting their words out and saying what they mean, but they also, you know, will have trouble reading directions on their prescription pill bottle or following along with a recipe or checking their email or texting with friends. Um, people who have trouble understanding have a really, really hard time with phone calls um, because not only can they maybe have trouble getting the words out to tell the person what they're trying to say, but then when the person talks back to them, they might have trouble understanding as well. Um, so it is just really affects all areas of communication. And then that, of course, has trickle-down effects um, on your mood, on your self-esteem, on your social circles. Um, so it, it really just impacts every part of life. So I'd imagine uh, with it being such a prevalent and severe thing when it comes to communication, there's a risk that someone might misdiagnose or misperceive what it is. Definitely, definitely. And it's such a uh, barrier for people with aphasia to be able to say exactly what they're experiencing or to um, really communicate with their healthcare providers. So, in that sense, do you have any advice for someone who might be helping someone along their journey or just starting out their own journey of aphasia? Hmm. Let me think. It is very different depending on each and every person, of course. Um, so part of it, I would encourage them to find what works for them. Um, some of my patients love being able to write down what they want to say because writing is a strength of theirs. So they'll carry around a, a you know, pen and paper, dry erase board to be able to write with people. Um, other people you know, visuals are huge for them. So they'll um, constantly, you know, some of them will print out pictures that they can point to. Um, really just finding all the different ways that there are to communicate 
and figuring out what are that person's strengths. Because usually with aphasia, um, people will have their strengths and weaknesses when it comes to language and really draw on the strengths to figure out how you can communicate best. So um, for someone who likes writing, all of their communication partners should just be aware of that and make sure that there's paper and pen around and that they will have to, you know, look at what the person is writing as well as what they're saying. Um, that would be my, my biggest suggestion is playing on someone's strengths. So in that sense, we all have uh, our language strengths and weaknesses. Some of us communicate best through mathematical equations. Some people communicate best through music. Some people, the written word, the spoken word, uh, even just by demonstration, everybody has uh, their own niche. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And um, I've heard it said that good communication for people with aphasia is just good communication, right? We all could um, have our, our strengths and weaknesses when it comes to that. So... In your time with the center, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Mm. Let's see. A few came to mind right away. Um, I really love when people come and maybe they haven't gotten any words out. And often, um, I'm thinking of one person in particular who is just so frustrated. And you could tell he was just mad and he had so much that he wanted to say, and he hadn't been able to get any words out since his stroke. I think it'd been like three months. And just trying to imagine not being able to say anything for three months and have all of this in your head that you're trying to get out. Um, and so he came in and his body posture was rigid and you could tell he wanted to like flip the desk. He was so mad. Um, and then what we found worked really well for him was music. And so we got his first words out by singing. And then um, he was able to tell his wife, who was sitting in the room, I love you. And he cha it totally changed his entire demeanor. He went from this, like, kind of, he's really tall and muscular and was just um, almost confrontational to this, like, you could just see his whole face change. He was sweet. He, like, um, even just getting out those three simple words just made such an impact on him. And from that moment on, um, we used music and therapy, and he kept getting more and more words out, and it was just sort of this opening up of this man and being able to see that huge change take place. like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Of course. My friends, I found it especially interesting about Simon's interview, talking about how anaphylaxis can be seen as just an allergy. The fact is, anything in an extreme dose can have a long-term impact. You wouldn't downplay a person's condition and say, oh, it's just paralysis, or oh, it's just hearing loss. The fact is, this is something that is affecting a person's quality of life. We as a people should be the ones to reduce the risk and be respectful of the fact that this is a very important factor in a person's life. In order to live to our fullest, be at our best, people have to take the appropriate precautions. Truth of the matter is, disability or a medical condition of any kind is never to be overstated, it is never to be understated.
fact is, you can only take it in the moment. If a person's having a severe reaction to one set of circumstances, a less severe one to another, it doesn't mean their condition has magically gone away. It simply means they're having a different response based on what's around them. And, maybe, if they're already dealing with another medical condition, say the common cold, a person's immune system just isn't at its best when they're fighting it off. And maybe they're more susceptible. That doesn't mean that their condition has worsened. It's a matter of understanding, my friends. It is a matter of looking at the circumstances, looking at reducing risks, asking the question, how can I help today? Well, the fact is, no one wants to see their condition being fluffed off or pushed to the side. No one wants that. A lot of people would tell you that it's very disrespectful and it's question of our own lack of education. If we don't understand a condition, it doesn't give us the right to say that it's meaningless or that it's not affecting someone. But if we ask those questions, we stand together with others. We can help them live at their best, and in a way, we can live at our best by growing in our morality and our understanding. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.